It was 1934, and there was a 15-year-old boy who was working in the field, got home from school. He was uh, pitching some hay, and one of the hired hands was there with him, and all of a sudden, this 15-year-old and the hired hand hear all this commotion just down the field, uh, about, a, about 160 rods away. Uh, they hear all the singing going on, and the hired hand says, yeah, I guess they're having some uh, fanatics out there. These, these people are using a tent, <coughs> a tent and, and they're, they're, they're doing all this God talk and, and what have you. Well, the 15-year-old young man, he, he had known God. He had uh, sat around the kitchen table with mom and dad where they read scripture and they sang hymns, read the psalms. In fact, he was even baptized and confirmed. Even he was the vice president of his youth group. This young man knew it all. You know people like that who have already been taught about God and know it all. People who go to church, so they're believers in their mind. People who go to youth group or, or serve in some way, and they've got it all figured out. Maybe they've been baptized or they've been confirmed. They get a piece of paper that says they know it, and now they're good to go. Well, that's what's going on with this young lad. He didn't want to hear about his issues. He was all good. Fast forward a few months, that was May when they first heard it. In September, a new preacher comes into town, and this preacher is fiery. In fact, they, uh, he was titled as the fighter because he just hammered it home with, with the people that came. He went city to city, town to town, and he called out their sin, point blank. Well, he still didn't get enough interest to go, but while he was at school, he heard all the kids were talking about they're going to go and protest this guy who was there for 11 weeks. And that really got him interested. They were going to protest him because this guy was calling out the high school students, and he was even naming the house where the sins were happening. Well, this young man, he didn't want to protest. He just wanted to see what the response was going to be from this fighter. He's really interested in that. And you know, I, I was thinking, there are a lot of different ways to reach people. Aren't there? There's a lot of ways to reach people uh, for Jesus Christ. Some, sometimes it, it's, it's going and sitting with them. Sometimes it's uh, spending lots of time with them. Sometimes it's just sharing one little nugget with them. Sometimes it's sending them a note. There's a lot of different ways. We're going to hear about that today. Uh, just another way of, of how to reach people. But the main ingredient in all of that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the crucial ingredient in, in sharing the gospel. Let's, let's get back to the story. So, so this young man finally attended and as, as the young man, the first meeting he went to, he was absolutely hooked. 
and he started taking copious notes of what this guy was, what was saying. And, and he was just amazed at what he was saying. Now, this young man was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. He was confirmed. He was the vice president of his youth group. He went to church. He read scripture with his family. He sang songs with his family. He went every single time the church was open because his mom and dad made him. Later on, this, this young man reflected on his life. And, and he said, I actually resented my parents for making me go. Six days before his 16th birthday, his spirit was moved. His spirit was moved heavily. And, and what he said later on, like lead weights connected to his feet, he answered the altar call. The song that was playing was Just As I Am. That night he repented. And he prayed to ask Jesus Christ in his life. Later on, his mom recalled that evening when her son Billy came home and threw his arms around her and he said, Mother, I'm a changed boy. William Franklin Graham Jr. was a changed man that day. And because of the faithfulness of so many before him, his dad is the one who gave the space for the tent meeting. It was his dad's property. Billy Graham changed a lot of lives because of what people did before he ever gave his life to Jesus Christ. And these stories of life change are absolutely what life is all about. It's what life is about. And I trust that you're here today for two different reasons. Either you want life change or you want to help someone else have life change so you want to keep digging into God's word so you can create help in creating that life change. And I can think of no greater gift in this, in this world than the gift of Jesus Christ. No greater gift. Later today, we're going downstairs. We're going to eat a whole bunch of food. Trust me, it looks really good. And we're going to have an opportunity to, to share some things we're thankful for. And on the lips of every believer should be, I'm thankful for the salvation that I've been given in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what this is all about. Today we're learning from Dr. Luke once again. As, as he wrote the words in the book of Acts through the inspiration of the Holy, Holy Spirit, we're going we're gonna to take another trip with Paul to another location in the second missionary journey. Uh, remember, he, he, he just left Silas. He left Timothy. Uh, he sent word back for him now. And, and he's in Athens. He's in Athens preaching, preaching the gospel. And oftentimes, what we do is, is we get into Acts and we read of Paul, and then we read of a, uh, some uh, pickle that he's got himself into because of his preaching. And, and then we see how, how in the midst of that, Jesus Christ is proclaimed, his life, his death, his resurrection, and people are changed. 
And usually we see Paul with a bunch of companions. But today it's, he's by himself. But Paul's focus is going to continue to be the same. It's going to be continued on seeing if he can be part of the process in adding lives to the kingdom. You know, Paul tells us many times through Scripture that he's a sinner. That's what I love. I love that Paul is proclaiming, I am a sinner, I am the worst of sinners. And, and, and that is the beauty, because as Christians, we have to understand we are sinners. We are not perfect. The people that we come in contact with are just like us. They are made in the image of God. They may uh, have different types of sins, but they are sinners just like us. But Paul, when he was on that road to Damascus, his life was changed. And from that point forward, what we see in his life is he has one mission. Share the gospel. Share what he has learned. Paul was a genius. He was brilliant. He was learned. He had studied numerous things. But the best thing, the best knowledge he ever gained was what Jesus did for him. Paul's by himself again. And he is without any companions. He's waiting for them to, to come to him. So if you haven't already, would you uh, open your Bibles to the book of Acts? We're going to start in chapter 17. We'll, uh, we'll go uh, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Pretty decent amount. I will read those. You can stay seated. Verse 16 in chapter 17. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... That's uh, Timothy and Silas. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For we indeed, we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, 
We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionys Dionysius and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and the others with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. Thank you. May we learn something from it. May we change. May we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the last three messages that I have preached in the book of Acts, here are the titles of them. Focus on fulfilling the mission, helping to fulfill the great commission, preach the word. And now today, helping others know God. Are you getting the point of what, what, what I see the Holy Spirit teaching us in the book of Acts? You and I need to help others know God. It's our obligation, it's our duty, it's our privilege. That's our focus as believers in Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel. As I studied this portion of scripture, I, I, I started thinking, man, this is just random. He's ushered into Athens, and, and now there's just some random things happening. But as I studied it more and more and more, I'm like, yeah, what a sovereign God to direct the paths of Paul. I mean, the God of creation had this all planned out before the earth was ever created. We, we, we serve a God of perfection, a God of precision, a God who already knows eternity past and eternity forward. It's, a, it's amazing to think about. And in the end of the scripture we read today, we are going to learn, or we just read, that there is a small group of people, just a small group, in all of Athens. We don't know anything else about them, but we know a small group of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. That is what sharing the gospel is all about. You do the sharing, and you let God change the hearts. And if one life is changed, one life is brought into the kingdom, it was all worth it. It was worth it all. And we don't know. Maybe thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because of those handful of people whose lives were changed. I have four observations from this scripture that I'd like to pull out. Four musts. Four musts if we are to help others know God. The first thing, the first thing that is a must if we are to help others know God of the universe, the God that is the, definitely the God that's not the unknown God, the first thing is, is you must personally know him as your Savior. Absolutely crucial to know him 
as your Savior if you're going to share who he is with others. It's a prerequisite. Many people spend a lot of money, giving a lot of money to people to, to maybe feed them for one day or for maybe a week. Some people will build a home for somebody and give them shelter for a season. But what I'm saying is that when you know Jesus Christ, you can give that gift that is eternal, that never ends. There is no season. It's eternity. And Paul, we see throughout all of his writings, all of the history that we read of Paul, that he is so focused on his personal growth with Jesus Christ, on becoming a man who just is absolutely humbled and in love with Jesus Christ. In 2002, I worked for the Walter and Connie Payton Foundation. Walter Payton had already died. He died in 99, if you remember. And every year, I, I did their website for them and took pictures at, at things. And, and every year, we would do um, a special event. And we would honor some other NFL player. Well, in 2002, prior to the season, Emmett Smith was on the brink of beating Walter Payton's rushing record. So they honored Emmett Smith. And, and uh, they had a dinner the night before the event that I was invited to. I couldn't go. And so I was, I was bummed out by that. I was going to have dinner just with, with about 10 of us. But then the event came, and it was at the Walter Payton Roundhouse. And... and and I go there, and, and nobody gets to be by Emmett Smith. You can kind of talk to him if you're famous or whatever. Jim McMahon was supposed to be there. He didn't show. Probably wouldn't have been wearing shoes. Uh, but, but we're there, and I'm taking pictures and having a good time. And, um, but I'm getting ready to leave. And they've got this beautiful program that, that has Walter and, and Emmett on the front of it, and it's Walter's signature and stuff like that. And I'm like, Man, it would be sweet if I got Emmett's signature. So I went up to uh, his bodyguards, who are huge guys, just monster guys, and, and I, like, tug on, uh, on the suit, and he looks at me, and, and I said, hey, I got to get going. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for Emmett's autograph. I work for Connie. And he goes, you work for Connie? Out of the way, people! And, I mean, it just moves apart like, like the parting of the sea. And I walk through, and I'm, like, showing them, hey, 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 I'm walking through, all happy. And, and so I, it was probably, maybe it was 40 seconds, but to me it was like we spent about an hour together. And, and, and i just talking to Emmett, and, and he signs my thing, and he's just talking to me about Walter a little bit. And I said, okay, yeah, uh, I'll get going. And, and so I had his autograph. Um, did I know, do I know Emmett Smith personally? No. I met him once. If I was on the street and Emmett was walking by, Emmett wouldn't recognize me. And you know, I probably wouldn't even recognize him. But that's the way some people treat their relationship with Jesus Christ. I know Jesus. I go to church. I know Jesus. I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid. I know Jesus. 
My mom and dad took me to church. I know Jesus. My wife is a believer. I don't go. I mean, I got to watch the Bears game. You, you see the difference of a personal relationship versus just an acquaintance. Jesus Christ can't be your acquaintance. Jesus Christ needs to be your personal everything. And too many times we treat it where he's some distance off where we can't even get to him when we have to understand that when we are true believers in Jesus Christ, he's dwelling inside of us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside believers of Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. And that's what we need to share. I could introduce somebody. If, if, if Emmett and I went out for dinner frequently, went out for lunch, I can now probably take somebody with me and introduce them. I can introduce anyone to Bill. Bill's a personal friend of mine. And I can introduce somebody to him, and I can feel confident that I've truly connected the two. And that's what we have to do with Jesus Christ. We have to personally know him and love him and care about him, and then we share. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but we live with, with a God that is a forgiving God that looks at us and says, I get it. I understand. It's just like when your kids do something against you. Yeah, you discipline them, you, you have a conversation with them, and then you put your arms around them and kiss them. We need to share the love that we have for Jesus Christ. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know him personally? Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is this salvation where you become absolutely part of Jesus' family. That's where it becomes important. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in the, his name, he gave the right to become children of God, heirs to the king of kings, co-heirs with the king of kings. If you are to help others know God, you must personally know him as your savior. The second thing, the second thing is you must pursue the Holy Spirit daily. This is crucial, friends. Look at our scripture today, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul, throughout all of the teaching that we watch and, and, and kind of get a sneak peek into his life, we see that he is constantly seeking the Holy Spirit for guidance, uh, for, for um, direction. Sometimes we even saw that he was stopped going certain directions by the Holy Spirit. And too many times, we treat the Holy Spirit like an it. Instead of treating the Holy Spirit like who he is, God. 
Jesus said in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the beauty. The Holy Spirit's role is guidance and counseling. Luke 12, 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Seeking the Holy Spirit is crucial in our lives. John 16, verses 12 and 14. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. Pursuing the Holy Spirit means digging into Scripture, studying it, understanding it, uh, meditating on it. It means getting on your knees and praying. It means going to God and asking, how do I digest this in a way that I can then give it to somebody else? And the Holy Spirit only, friends, this is crucial, the Holy Spirit only glorifies Jesus and only speaks words that are never, how am I saying this correctly? Words that will never contradict Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict Scripture, and it will always glorify Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That is his job as, as part of the Trinity. And Paul was doing this daily, even when he was waiting around, waiting around, waiting for friends to join him in a place that, you know what? Frankly, some might think would be a vacation location. That'd be a great place for a vacation, even today, let alone in Paul's time. It wasn't as thriving as it had been in, in, <coughs> in centuries past or, or uh, years past, but it was still a thriving place. In fact, that's our third point. You must put your agenda in the hands of God. You must put your agenda in the hands of God. In order to help others know God, you must personally know him. You must personally know him as your, as your savior. Know Jesus Christ as your savior. You must pursue the Holy Spirit daily and, and always put your agenda in the hands of God. You know, Paul probably could have been on a fiesta just enjoying his time. There's probably great food uh, in Athens. Athens was the center of art and beauty and culture and knowledge. It was a beautiful place. But Luke only tells us what Paul sees through his eyes and his reflection of that. And he's looking at these beautiful buildings and statues and stuff, and he, all he sees is idols. He sees sin. He sees um, destruction for people's eternal lives. These buildings were focused on praising false gods, focused on uh, people were focused on sitting on ivory towers of their own, just contemplating whatever they were contemplating, having nothing to do with the real creator. But instead of, of being on a vacation, Paul is stirred in his spirit because daily he is seeking God. 
He may have had a completely different agenda. We don't know that. We know that he was ushered into Athens, that he didn't even plan this process. Frankly, he wanted to get to uh, Corinth. That was where he wanted to get to because that was the political center of, of everything going on. So that's where he wants to get to. So he's waiting for his friends. And while he's there, he's like, let's see what happens, God. He walks around the city, not too long, but long enough to take a, take a look at all kinds of statues, all kinds of buildings. Some say that, some commentators say that uh, ancient historians have identified 30,000 different idols were in that city. 30,000. I, I read uh, way too much about random stuff. I always like doing that when I'm studying for this. But uh, they had let all these sheep out and and then wherever the sheep stopped and, and where they were sacrificed, if there was an idol in that area, they would name that sacrifice for that particular god. But anywhere those sheep stopped and, and there was not an idol, they would sacrifice those sheep. And that's where they would put multiple unknown gods in those areas. And that's how all these 30,000 idols started being created, including the unknown god. But... Paul, he walks into the city, he takes a look, takes a look at all the stuff, he's reading it, and then he goes where? To the synagogue. Goes to the synagogue because he knows those people are religious. They will welcome him in. And they probably were even not into the idols because they were so religious, so founded on uh, devout Jewish traditions and laws, and so he spoke to them. It did no good. They basically didn't, didn't hear him from what we can uh, gather. Then he goes and sits in the marketplace where common citizens were selling stuff, bartering, uh, buying. And he starts having conversations with random people. You know, I thought about us. That would be like us going to a shopping mall or, or, or sitting at, at uh, Shabana Cafe or, or wherever it might be. And, and Paul understood that these people just living in the city, that they were just blindly following these idols. It was nothing to them. It meant nothing. It, it kind of was like, uh, maybe they believed in it, maybe they didn't believe in it. It, it, it didn't matter. You know, they were kind of apathetic. There, there was just this apathy about how they were living uh, in the sense of, the idol worship. Then there was this third group of people that, that came around. They were the philosophers. And he started talking to them. And he started digging in. They were the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, they were atheists. They denied God's existence. They denied life after death. They were materialists. They felt like this life was the only thing that really existed. And therefore, men should get the most out of everything that they were doing. And the Stoics, uh, they were pantheists. They believed that everything is God. And that he does not exist as a separate entity, but exists in every material thing. Their attitude was one of ultimate resignation. They prided themselves on the ability to take whatever came. They wanted to hear it all. They wanted every option. And then all of them were good. Well, Paul, he had his agenda set by the Holy Spirit. He had his agenda set, found himself discussing with these philosophers, which had different responses. 
The Epicureans, if you remember in the scripture, it says, they said, why are you babbling? Which, which means nitpicking. Why, why are you like, like birds picking up food or whatever? That they were saying, oh, you're taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little like a smorgasbord. That's what I'm going to do downstairs today. I'm going to take a little bit of this. Uh, and, and so he was, they said he was taking a bit of all kinds of religions and putting it together. And it was just worthless information. The Stoics, they appreciated the message. They thought, hey, here's a new God. This is great. They, they wanted to learn more about it. In fact, they, they thought he was talking about two different gods. They thought he was talking about Jesus and a God named Resurrection. These were, these were two great gods we can add to our collection. This is great. Like people collecting baseball cards or something. Well, imagine you guys sitting around at, at Shabana Cafe or at your school just sitting around having conversation, you start discussing the gospel with different people. Actually having discussions about the gospel. What, what, what's going to happen? Do you do that? <coughs> Want to make people feel uncomfortable? It truly will. Some people will mock you. Say you're babbling. And in our, our society, that's a different way of saying it. Some people will shun you. Some people will call you a fanatic, like Billy Graham said. It's hard to have those conversations. But when you put the agenda of your life in the hands of the Holy Spirit, it is amazing those conversations that happen. Many, many times in my life, when I have been putting my agenda in the hands of God, tremendous things have happened, not because of me. Because, again, my plans are not his plans. You know, the calendar and agenda business out there is a multi-billion dollar business. A planning and, and, and whether it's computers or paper, Many times our schedules are like God's themselves. And I'm, I'm truly not advocating for being free-spirited in the sense of, ah, let's just see what God has planned. You know, I, I'm all about plan your work and work your plan and, and, and preparing things. I believe it's crucial. We see many examples. Nehemiah, Nehemiah had detailed plans of how he wanted to go about it. Joseph, he planned 14 years. We see planning all over the place in Scripture. But in the midst of your plans, when you're getting on your knees for Jesus Christ and, and, and coming before the throne, when you're digging into God's Word and you're asking the Holy Spirit to lead you, all of a sudden, your agenda becomes in His hands. Because that is how you serve God. When Paul was ushered to the council called Areopagus, that was what it was, I wonder if he might have been thinking, here we go again. There's 30 plus people uh, of these judges 
These were the main judges, the final authority in the city of Athens. And I wonder if he thought, okay, I'm going to go before him, I'm going to preach the gospel again, and I'm going to get stoned or whipped or beat or whatever it might be. But I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. We've seen it over and over and over. Paul, his response is the same, just as we saw in Stephen earlier. I'm going to keep preaching. We saw it in early stages. Peter, I'm just going to keep preaching. He places Jesus above everything else. That's, that's our last point. If you're here, if you are to help others know God, you must place the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus high above the things of this world. Paul starts off, he starts the whole message when he's sitting in front of these 30 plus people, he starts off by connecting with them. You, I can tell, you're very religious people. You are God-fearing people. Now his, his word God in the original language is demon-fear people. It's not holy creation theos. You are God-fearing people, but he's complimenting. They're taking it as a compliment. And he connects with them right away. And he guides them right to the statue of the unknown God, and he says, this is what I want to talk about. The person I know personally is the unknown God. That's who it is. These were people that were absolutely brilliant that he was talking to. Great thinkers. People that, that understood so many things. And they even thought of naming an unknown God. But that's the thing. When you're searching for things in all the wrong places, you're never going to find it. You're never going to find what you are searching for. Walter Payton uh, before he died, second Walter Payton story, uh, he was hanging out with a bunch of his friends and, at his house and then went to his wife and he said, Connie, I can't find my Super Bowl ring. He could not find it. It slipped off somewhere in the house. They tore the house apart, looking everywhere for it, could not find it. So he bought another one. Yeah, why not? So he bought a, literally an identical one from Jostens. And so many years after Walter died, Connie moved from their house in Barrington, and she sold off a lot of the stuff. And one of those things was their couch. And in the couch, the guy who bought it at the sale found Walter Payton's Super Bowl ring. He actually gave it back to Connie. And so Connie has two Super Bowl rings. He was looking in all the wrong places. Everywhere he was looking, and he could not find it. You know what? We do that as people. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, you will start trying to find love in all the wrong places. Maybe you are going to the store and buying stuff. 
and it fills your heart so much. And then next week, you need to go to the store again because you're empty again. Or maybe it's sex. Or maybe it's, it's uh, um, fulfilling some other uh, habit that you have because that's where you get your, uh, your fulfillment. And you keep going after it over and over and over and you can never get full because you're looking for it in all the wrong places. You see, God, Holy Spirit, fills that void where you don't have to keep looking for something else to fill it. And that's what these people were doing. They were filling everything that they could by making gods. They just wanted to know other gods or more information or more uh, ideas. And that's what was filling their cup. But when you keep doing that, all of a sudden you end up with 30,000 of them and you don't know where to go from there. It's almost like 21st century America. I bet we have over 30,000 idols in this country. Because we're looking for all the wrong things to fill our need when it's only one thing, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, we can go through the entire message of, of Paul's because it is absolutely awesome of how he brings forth this message, how he shares this message with the people, how he guided them in the talk, and Paul, how he uses the opportunity to... That, that's probably the summary of it. He uses this opportunity in front of these great leaders to lift the name of Jesus. Above everything else, above all the wonderful things that, that the people were celebrating, he used the opportunity to raise Jesus' name. How about you? Do you use those opportunities? Do you lift the name of Jesus Christ when you have those opportunities? I don't know. I don't know if I do all the time. I think there's a lot more opportunities than what, what even I see. And if I was seeking the Holy Spirit even more in the sense of not out of, out of pure legalism, but out of pure love and begging God to, to control my agenda... I bet I'd see a lot more opportunities. If you, wanna, if you want to share the name of Jesus above everything else, you must personally know him as your Savior. Scripture says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Every day, pursue the Holy Spirit through prayer and petition, and by reading God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as we do this, plan our work and work our plans, but put the final agenda in the hands of the almighty God. 
Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Lastly, in everything place the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus high above the things of this world. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I'll close with one final statement from the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.